Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is November 22nd, 2023. We continue our series, Words for Life, and today's word is consistency. So as we get ready to celebrate Thanksgiving here in the United States, our word consistency. Let's just jump right in. So what are we doing with the time that we have been given? Do our actions match what we say we believe? When Jesus returns, will he find us faithful or guarding to conserve what is not ours to keep? I know such questions with a Thanksgiving weekend. You know, nearly every ministry uh, this week is talking about Thanksgiving and giving thanks, and here we are with our word consistency. Doesn't sound like it matches up. Well, I don't always match up to holidays. We match up with words we believe the Lord has given us. And so today we're looking at consistency. And, you know, when God calls us, He wants us to make the most of our lives for the kingdom. And as Christians, we understand that we live by faith. We believe in a God that we cannot see. And we know that someday we're going to see him as he is. And in that day that we see him as he is, he's going to examine us. And he's going to examine how we live by faith. So... Over the past several weeks, you may have noticed on some of our words and definitely the scriptures that our lessons have had sort of an end time, end of the age, judgment day type of focus or feel with those messages, mainly because of these scripture passages from the lectionary. But I want to point out that anytime you look at passages like that, uh, Jesus is looking to make a strong point about the importance of how we live our daily lives. That's the reason why those words are there in the Bible. God put them there. They're important. And when it comes to anything that has to do anything with the end of the last point, just like the last days Jesus walked in his physical form on earth before the crucifixion, those last words are important. Likewise, anything that concerns with the end of the age it's important. It's trying to make a point. And again, in repeating myself here, but about the importance of how we live our lives daily. And that comes with consistency, or for some of us, the lack of consistency. And when I say consistently, what we're looking at is what we say we believe and what we actually do. We're living in a very post 
Christian culture today. And relativism is everywhere. It's very prevalent in our society. And there is no more important time to be vigilant in regard to consistency. So, in repeating my initial questions, what are you doing with the time you have been given? Today we're going to begin our scripture reading with our main passage, Matthew chapters 25, verses 14 through 30. It reads, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew I reaped where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited the money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is, of course, the parable of the talents. And I've taught this passage before. But with today's word and our theme and the other scriptures, I'm going to look at this a little bit different. And before I get too far into this, I just want to stop and let's talk about what's a talent. Well, it's a measurement of money was usually given in silver. I've always assumed it was in gold, but I've been doing some digging. It was in silver. But a talent is approximately 80 pounds of silver. And again, depending on where you research, there may be some little differentiations, you know. But overall, you know, this is a roundabout thing. But So it's not just a coin. It's 80 pounds of silver. It represented 6,000 denarii. Well, what the heck's a denarii? Well, a denarii, that was a coin, but it was one day's 
wage or is worth one day's work. And so one talent represents 6,000 days of work. Or in another perspective, it equals 18 years of work. There are other parables talking about minas. It takes 60 minas to equal one talent. It takes 30 shekels, the Jewish shekel, to equal one mina. It takes about 1,800 shekels to equal a talent. So a shekel could sometimes also be equal to three days' work. Um, this is just giving us a perspective of that that talent, 80 pounds of silver, I mean, it's, it's 6,018 years worth of labor. So your talent has a lot to do with time. 18 years of time. You know, we don't say 18 years of time. We will usually say something like 18 years of my life. When we stand before the Lord at Judgment Day, we won't be saying I wasted time. We will say I wasted life. Time is very much equal to life. So what does what does one do with talents that the master has given them? What well, has everything to do with how Jesus will respond to them when he returns? What did you do with those talents determines on how he's going to treat you when he returns. And this creates a conflict. What sort of conflict is this creating? Well, in this parable, the servant with one talent acts in a way that is inconsistent with his own evaluation of the master. Think about that for a second. He has evaluated his master to be a certain way. But his actions is inconsistent with that evaluation. Well, he evaluated his master as what? We go to the scripture. We won't look at it. Yeah, I pick up the right page with the scripture on it. He says that his master is a hard man. He reaps where he does not sow. and He gathers where he is not scattered. So what does that mean? He reaps where he's not sown. In other words, he's harvesting where he doesn't sow. He didn't put into anything, but he's going to take what you're making anyway. It says uh, when he, uh, excuse me here, I'm, I got lost on my page here on my scripture. He gathers where he's not scattered. So he didn't scatter the seed, but he's going to go gather what comes up. He's a hard man. In other words, his evaluation is that this is the type of man that comes in and takes what he didn't work for. He takes what you work for. That's his evaluation of the master. But you see, he's misevaluated his master. He's inconsistent in his actions. If he really believed his master was going to come and take what wasn't his, why did he misuse the talent? In other words, he knew the master was going to come and take whatever. So he takes the talent and he hides it and buries it. So when the master comes back, he can give the master his talent, but give him nothing else. 
In other words, his actions say, I am going to cheat the hard master by not producing a harvest. I'm just going to take his talent and give it back to him, and I will not have a harvest for him to, to reap. In other words, I'm not, he's given me this to sow. He's not going to sow it. I'm going to sow it, but I'm going to fool him. He won't be able to reap anything because I won't give him anything. And he's given me this talent to sow or to scatter, but I'm not going to scatter it. I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of that harvest. I'm just going to give him back his talent. That's showing the A, the wickedness. He doesn't want the master to get anything out of this. But he's misevaluated because if he was a really a hard man that does this evil thing, what makes him think he's going to be happy at receiving nothing? That's why the master says, he calls him, he calls him wicked and lazy. He says, if I was that way, you should have put it on deposit with the bankers so that he could get his interest. In other words, you could have given it to bankers. There would have been interest on it and you could have given me my money back plus that, that thing that would make me happy. The, the reaping and the gathering that I didn't do. You could still have given me that without you actually having to do anything. But in other words, he didn't believe this hard man was actually that way. In other words, he thought he would just come in and go, oh, oh well, and he could he could steal from him, and the hard man wouldn't be hard and would just oh, okay, yeah, okay, I'll forgive you. I'll just take what I got and leave. He misevaluated. He believed the master was way X, but the master would treat him like way Y. In other words, He's got a picture of the master that he doesn't really believe. See, there are Christians today, that's how we treat God. We believe that God is a certain way. And we have people that go, well, God is love and God is just. They say God is just, but God is love. But they don't believe that that just and fair God will be just and fair and that he will therefore just let them get away with whatever because he loves them. They want God to be fair, but they don't want God to be fair with them and their actions. They believe that something will override his level, override that capacity and that he will just be out of character and overlook it. Again, this servant believed the master to be hard, but he believed that he would be merciful in the gathering. And the master says, well, if you really believed I was hard, you wouldn't have acted this way. What you believe about me is a lie. Likewise to Christians, if we believe God is a certain way, but we live a different life, then we don't really believe in him. That's what our actions are saying. Now this becomes an issue of faith. You see... When God gives talents, there's, there's, there's things that come with this. There's a, there's a, a notion of responsibility. In other words, there's stewardship. And we're not just talking about talents here. We're talking about life because the talent is the wages, you know, 6,000 days of work, 18 years of work. That's one talent. That's, that's, in many professions, if you work at something 20, 20 years or 25 years, you can retire. Because that's considered a lifetime of work. 18 years is pretty close to that, people. 
It's life. We have a notion of responsibility, stewardship to the life God has given us. And as Christians, I'm talking to you as Christians, as a Christian, Jesus died in your place. So now your life is his and his life is yours. In other words, the life that we now live is in Christ. It's not our life anymore. It's his life. We're living, we're now stewardships of the life of God in us. There's a notion of responsibility to that. Number two, do our actions match up in what we say we believe? And number three, the thing we learn from this passage is that the there's reward for faithfulness, or the reward for faithfulness is more responsibility. If we're responsible with a little bit, he gives us more responsibility. We also learn from this passage that poor stewardship is equal to wickedness. He called this 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 person wicked. He also called them lazy. So now lazy is wickedness. We like to laugh and think, well, I'm just I'm being lazy and we'd blow it off as not that serious thing. But see, God considers laziness wickedness. And laziness is a poor steward, and that's wicked. Lazy and poor stewardship, those are linked to qualities of the pit of hell. They are things that send you to the pit of hell. So while the Proverbs says, you know, a little folding of the hands, a little closing of the eyes, and disaster falls upon you. You know, God did make us to sleep, and we should sleep. We should be well rested. But that Proverbs talking about a laziness. You know, in this society, in this culture, this post-Christian culture, the society of everything being relative, it's becoming very lazy. I watched an interview. It just happened in the last few days. Tom Brady talked about the NFL being mediocrity because there's a level of laziness in the rules where the game's not played as hard. Now, I'm not a Tom Brady fan, but there were several older players that agreed with him that there was this mediocrity that's coming in. And they talked about, you know, it's because this generation is sort of soft. I'm not trying to pick on this generation, but we have a culture that is moving into a softness, a laziness. They want someone to do things for them. And this wickedness, and it leads to the path of of hell. So what does this have to do with inconsistency? Again, we're talking about we are not consistent in our faith because we say we believe one thing, but then our actions do another. God's calling us into a consistency. We are living in the end of the age, and we need consistent See, let's look at our next passage in Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 7 through 16. It reads, Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited his guest, and it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children, and all such who are clothed with foreign apparel. In that same day, I will punish all those who leap over the threshold, who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. 
And there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second quarter, and a loud crashing from the hills. Well, you inhabitants of Maktesh, for the merchant people are cut down. All those who handle money are cut off. And it shall come to pass at that time that I shall search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Therefore their good shall become booty, their houses desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There, there the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against fortified cities and against the high towers. <clears throat> I know that's a tricky passage. It's definitely end time related, talking about the day of the Lord. And yet, there's things about consistency that the Lord is speaking to us. You know, um, the word Zephaniah, the prophet, his name Zephaniah means Yahweh hides. And Zephaniah is definitely through this word here, is saying Yahweh is not going to hide. He's no longer going to, going to hide things back, but instead he is returning and he's inspecting his servants progress. I know you're saying, what do you mean he's inspecting his servant's progress? Where do you say he's inspecting the servant's progress? Well, really easy. He gets down there and it says, be, be silent in the presence of the Lord. I mean, God's presence, he's here. The day of the Lord is at hand. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. The Lord has prepared. He's invited his guests. In the day of the Lord's sacrifice, he says he will punish the prince's and the king's children, and all such that are clothed in foreign apparel. You know, not long ago, we read a parable about um, where the king invited all the people in, and not all of them came. And he said, find them on the highways and byways. And he comes out to his banquet to, to see who had came, and there was someone there that didn't wear the right wedding clothes, and he threw them out. Yes, on the day of the Lord, he's going to come out. He's, he's preparing a sacrifice. He's preparing a feast, a banquet, a sacrifice. And he wants all of us in attendance. And so here comes the, the princes. If we're believers, we, we are, we are royalty. We are princes and princesses in God's kingdom. That's what it says the princes and the king's children. We are children of the king. We are, we, if we're a child of God, we're a child of the king. And he inspects and he goes, wait a minute. There are people who are foreign apparel on. They're not wearing the apparel of a child of the king. They're not wearing princely apparel. They're wearing something foreign. And he says he's going to punish those who leap over the threshold, who fill the master's houses with violence and deceit. See, the apparel that they're wearing is violence. It's deceitful. And the idea of leaping over the threshold, it's like the door is open and they just leap inside. There are Christians who want to leap into the church. They want to leap into Christianity. But they don't want to clothe themselves in Christ. This is a lot more than just, they're not putting on the armor of God. 
they're not willing to put on Jesus Christ. They're not willing to put on the righteousness of Christ. They want to wear their own filthy rags. They want to wear the rags of sin and darkness. It says, in that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate. You know, the, the, the fish gate, there was these gates that go around Jerusalem. One of them was the fish gate. And it was called the fish gate because this is where all the fishermen would bring all their fish that they've been catching, all the fresh fish, and they would they would sell it in the fish gate. You know, Peter was called, he was a fisherman, and Jesus called him to be a fisher of men. Why is there wailing at the fish gate? He goes on to talk about the merchants and the people who are cut down and those who handle money. What did Jesus do when he walked in the the temple and he saw the money changers? He got mad because that was not the place for money changers. And he overthrew the tables. See, there's wailing at the fish gate because, and the merchants are being cut down. Why are the merchants being cut down? Because there's no fish. In other words, remember, we've been called to be fishers of men. This is not just about fish. It's the idea that we should be fishing to bring in people into the kingdom. But instead of bringing people into the kingdom, we've become merchants, and we're trying to sell other things in that gate than what should be there. And what does the Lord see with things that are being sold that shouldn't be there? He, he, he throws it over. That's not the place for it. You know, it says, it continues in that verse, and, and it says that he's going to search Jerusalem with lamps. I hope you got your oil ready. And he'll punish men who are settled in complacency. That's not being consistent. That's being complacent. Ah, well, he's not coming today. Ah, the Lord loves us. It's not, it's not the bad. It goes on and says in the scripture, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. This is complacency. This is where it, you you say you believe God is one way, but then you live like he's another. We don't think God will really back up his word. Oh, yeah, God is holy. God is good. God is love. God is just. But because of that, he won't really punish me for my sin, and I can just do whatever I want. I can live in evil. I, I was baptized. I stuck my head in water. That means I can do whatever I want. I went and say to prayer at church, that means that it's okay if I want to cheat on my wife and steal from my boss and, you know, lie to people, commit a murder here or there. It's all the same, right? See, the Lord's not mocked. See, our actions speak what we believe. See, many times... There are people in churches that say the right thing, but they live differently. What we have to understand is that they're not consistent with reality. And so if you had to say what's really real, it's how they act. Just like the, just like that, that servant who took the, 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 the talent and buried it. The issue was is that he didn't want the Lord to have anything. He was going to cheat the Lord. I won't even give you interest. I'm just going to give this back to you, and that should be, you should just leave me alone after that. But that's not how it works. Because God expects fruitfulness. God has anointed us to be fruitful. God created us. 
to be fruitful. If we believe in him, if we jump over our fear and we take steps out for him, we can't fail. The Holy Spirit is not here so that we're not fruitful. The Holy Spirit will produce fruit. The only way not to is to do nothing. And that's called laziness and evil. The last scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when people say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. So this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on a breastplate of faith and love and a helmet as the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. So here it is. God's telling us, listen, he doesn't want to come upon us suddenly. He is going to appear suddenly to many people. But he doesn't want us to be caught off guard. Notice that this destruction, when the Lord comes to take an account of those talents, people are going to be saying, peace and safety. In other words, nothing's nothing's bad is going to happen. Don't worry about it. But it'll hit like labor pains on a woman. It just it just hits and you can't escape it. Once it happens, once the labor pains happen, there's a birth. Once the judgment comes, there's no escape. He's here. And just like labor, it hurts, but there's something good on the other side. But brethren, are you in the darkness or in the light? See, we shouldn't be overtaken by this. So it says, we're sons of the light, not of darkness. You know, we should not. It says, don't sleep as others do. You know, don't act like we're in the night. And when it says sleep in the night and drunk at night, in other words, you're spiritually in the stupor because you're in darkness and you're getting drunk. You're letting things of the world control you. The darkness of this world is controlling. No, we're supposed to be of the day. We're supposed to be sober. That means alert. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love, the helmet of the hope of salvation. In other words, our actions should be mirroring. We should be consistent that our actions should meet with our faith. So that on the appointed day, we're there. And then we comfort and edify each other with these words. So with these words, think about this. What are the responsibilities that you've been given because of the talents God's given you? What should your actions be? Are we living in a way today that expresses this belief. How have we invested the talents that God's given us? Will we be found faithful? On this day of Thanksgiving, where we thank God for the many blessings he's given us, I say not only be thankful, but we should also, how have we invested 
those things we're thankful for? How have we used these things God has blessed us with for his kingdom? He wants us to be fruitful. He will make us through his spirit fruitful. It's a guarantee. We just need to be faithful to step out. Father, I thank you for today, God, that you've challenged us, God. That, Lord, yes, there are many things we're thankful for, but you want us to invest those things in your kingdom, God. You want to see a return in those things, God. Father, the word is to be consistent, Lord. Help us to be consistent, to live out our faith, God. Do not allow us to be inconsistent and therefore fall into laziness and wickedness, God. Help us to be fruitful for you and your kingdom, God. God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we thank you for listening to this podcast. You can listen to our other teachings at our website, www.christianimpact.net. We hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving and a fruitful Christmas and New Year season. And until next time, God bless. Yeah.